Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Today, Pastor John starts a whole new series. This series is entitled Power of Love. Today's message is subtitled, I Don't Do Feet, and it is part one of the series. Now, here is Pastor John. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. They came to Jesus and they were trying to trap him with a difficult question, what they thought was a difficult question. Let this be an encouragement to you today. What we think is difficult, Jesus thinks is easy. They asked him a really difficult question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commandments in the law of Moses, and they thought Jesus would have a hard time picking out the the most important. If there was a most important, Jesus said this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he said, and there's a second that's equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said something astounding. He said, the entire demands of the law and the prophet are based on these two commandments. Love God and love others as you love yourself. That's what Jesus said. Matthew 22. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1. Let, let's look at the first half of that verse because this is part of a conversation. But he said, let love, Paul said, let love be your highest goal. Of all the things that Paul preached about in the New Testament, he wrote a third of the New Testament himself. Uh, of all the things that he told us we should do, all the commands of Christ that were written through the Apostle Paul, he said, let love be your highest goal above everything else. And then here's the last one. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, this is the Apostle John. He said, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone, in verse 8, who does not have love, anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. God is love. Father, I pray that you would add your anointing, your illumination and revelation to your word, conviction where it's appropriate, encouragement where we need it. Lord, may our faith rise today. May may we hear your word, but not just hear it. May we do it, put it into practice Holy Spirit, would you confirm your word today with power? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, love is the greatest power on earth. Do you believe that? Love is the greatest power on earth. Not political rhetoric, not media influence, not physical strength not social activism, not religious rules and regulations, not self-help strategies. Love, love has its source in, in the eternal divine nature of the one true God. God is love, Scripture just told us. And because true love connects us to the true omnipotent God of the universe, then love has to be and is the greatest power on earth. But the American church 
too often it seems that we have forgotten that, that we have forgotten love. We, have, we seem to have left love in one of two opposite ditches. There's this ditch of legalism where we've made Christianity this list of do's and don'ts, where our preaching is really just shaming and guilting people until we achieve behavior modification, until we get people to act like we think Christians should act, where being a Christian is about hating the right things and the right people, hating both the sin and the sinner, where being a Christian is is about uh, what's happening on the outside, but really never stopping and giving much time to what's on the inside and what's really motivating us. Love is only mentioned as a method, not as a motive. It's a ditch, not because actions don't matter, but because it's not the whole counsel of God. It's backwards. It's a pharisaical solution, or a pharisaical substitute for a real relationship with God. On the other hand, the other side of the road, the other ditch, is this ditch of cheap grace. Where it's this belief that Jesus died to pay for our sins and give us his grace. So now we have this get out of hell free card and we can live however we want to and we can do whatever we want to without conscience and without consequence because Jesus, they say, paid for everything past, present, and future. And we're free to express our, quote, love for Jesus in our worship, and sometimes it's very extravagant. But that love has no effect on how we conduct our lives on day to day. Both of them, both of them are an abomination to God and an insult to Christ and his sacrifice for us on the cross. Both, both the legalism and the cheap grace are, are an abomination because they don't preach, they don't teach, they don't reflect what's actually in the Word of God. And those two ditches are misleading people and endangering their souls because neither of the, those, those beliefs and those systems really capture the reality of salvation. Love is the most powerful force in heaven or on earth. But like everything else, it has to be understood and applied correctly before it has the impact that it's intended to have. So today we're going to start talking about, we're going to start a series called The Power of Love. The Power of Love. The Bible has, has so much to say about love, but too often we, we skip over that. We just overlook that. I just want us in this series, I want us to slow down and take a look at the topic of love in the Word of God. And I believe as we do, we're going to start watching it transform our lives. One of our pledges this year, and last year I, I shared my heart from what I believe the Lord is leading us to in this year. One of our pledges or our commitments this year is, is I will love Him until I live Him. I will love Him until I live Him. That we, that we, above everything else this year, we have to fall in love with Jesus. And this series is a start at understanding that love and understanding how to do that. So today's message is one I've been telling you about for, for a few weeks, uh, just in time for Valentine's Day. And it's called, I Don't Do Feet. I Don't Do Feet. It, it's not just a marriage message. It, it's the principles are going to apply to every relationship you have. The, the premise and the, some, most of the examples today are about marriage, but these principles apply in any relationship where love's important. So, and, and it's also going to apply to our most important relationship as well. So 
I don't do feet. That's, that's what I told Valerie for years, the first several years of our marriage. We've been married, September will be 29 years that we've been married. But for the first few years, I could not stand the thoughts of touching that woman's feet. Or much less anybody else's feet. I'd just say, listen, baby, I, I, don't, I don't do feet. How many of y'all like to have your feet rubbed? Like after a long, hard day of standing and working, and you just, you just like somebody to get in there and from your big toe all the way to your Achilles heel. Y'all, be proud. Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Can I tell you from my heart, y'all are nasty. <laughs> y'all are nasty people. It's in the Bible, in the book of hesitations. It says, feet are nasty, and thou shouldst not want people to toucheth them. That's in there. I wrote it in there myself. Nasty. I, I don't think, I, I, honestly, I can't remember ever asking Valerie to rub my feet for any reason. It gives me the heebie-jeebies. I, I, don't, I don't even want to think about it. But listen, I know some of you really do like to have your feet rubbed, and it it really does, I am told, relax you. So good for you. I'm glad you, you like that. But, but for whatever reason, I just could not bring myself to rub her feet. Now, I'm happy to report that I have worked through my issues and that now, after years of therapy, <laughs> I'm just kidding, that, that, I, that I rub her feet sometimes without asking her to, right? I just sneak up on her and rub her feet and stuff and so that's cool. She told, me, she told me yesterday, she said, you know, you should probably, just to make sure everything's okay before you preach this message tomorrow, you should probably go ahead and rub my feet just to make sure everything's out in the open. I said, get thee behind me. No, I didn't. I, man, we didn't. So there are some principles that I learned in, in that time of, of my life that, that I wanted to share with you. Um, and, and I think they'll, they'll help all of us in our relationships. So from my perspective, I loved her, but I had a right to my preferences. I, I didn't like touching her feet, and she was just going to have to respect that. But as I thought about it from her perspective, I thought, what does that communicate to her? And I came to the conclusion that it really just really it said one thing. I don't love you enough to do that. I don't love you enough to do that. And now she never told me that, and I don't know that we've ever really had a, a serious conversation about it, but, but that's the, one of the things that changed my mind about it, is, is what it communicated to her. And here's the, here's the takeaway from that, and it's our first point today. Love doesn't draw lines. Love doesn't draw lines. How can I say, I love you, in one breath, but in the other breath, I don't love you enough to do that. What gives me the right to draw, to draw lines in our relationship? And if I get to say what I will or I won't do, where does she draw the line? And, and, and what is it that I may need or that I may want that, she's, that she refuses to do? You see, it's kind of a snowball effect in the relationship. And listen, we're not talking about principles here. Right? We're not talking about matters of conscience. This, these are preferences. I completely had the ability to rub her feet. I just didn't want to. 
And it, it wasn't because I didn't believe in foot rubbing. I didn't believe that rubbing feet was a sin. I just preferred not to do it. Now, to her credit, she never pushed the issue. But eventually, it ate at me. It ate at me. And you guys are mature enough and smart enough to recognize that this is really not about feet. The question is, where do you draw the lines in your relationship? What part of yourself do you withhold from your spouse or from the other people that are in whatever relationship you're in? What part of your, of your spouse or of that other person do you not want to be a part of? What's, what's over the line for you? Love doesn't draw lines. Now here's the second takeaway. Love doesn't keep score. Love doesn't, doesn't keep score. See, from my perspective, I was a pretty good husband. Maybe better than some. And I did a lot for her. So if I, if I didn't do feet, I still had enough good stuff to balance it out on the other side. To balance out the stuff that I didn't want to do. Is that not ridiculous? I mean, we... We would never say that out loud like, like I just did. But don't, isn't that the attitude sometimes? Isn't that the attitude? The goal of any relationship that you value should not be to balance the scale. The goal is not to do just enough to make up for the areas that you aren't willing to surrender. The goal is to give yourself completely to the other person, the, to the, the object of your affection. Right? Like the old song said, there ain't no mountain high enough. Right? Ain't no river wide enough, no valley low enough to keep you from getting to and meeting the needs and the desires of the one you love. Because true love doesn't draw lines and true love doesn't keep score. It simply asks, does she want it or need it? Does, does it would, would it bring him pleasure or make his life easier? Is it in my power to be able to do it? And if it is, then it doesn't matter what lengths you have to go to or how uncomfortable it makes you. When you love them, you just do that. You just do it. Now, I seem to be on a musical roll today for some reason, but there's a country song that I've heard called I Don't Dance. And I love the premise of this song. The premise is, I hate dancing. This, this guy says, I hate, I hate dancing. But because you want to dance, here I am spinning you around and around in circles. I don't like the music. <laughs> I don't like the steps. I don't like anything about this. But because it brings a smile to your face, I'll do it with a smile on my face. That's what love's about. That's what love's about. I took our eight-year-old to the daddy-daughter band dance Friday night. Justin was there. Some of you may have done that in the last couple weeks. A room full of people, clearly, who do not dance, but who are doing it because they love that little girl. That's what love does. That's what love does. This is what it says in Scripture. It says, because John, I don't, I don't care nothing about your opinion of our relationship. I get that, and you shouldn't really care about my opinion in your relationships. But we do have to care about what the Word says. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Verses 4 through 7 says, love is patient and kind. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. 
It, in verse 6, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. And then verse 7, love never gives up, it never loses faith, it's always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. Listen, love isn't so selfish that it demands its own way. It doesn't keep up with who's right and who's wrong and who gave more than the other person. It just keeps loving. It just keeps giving. No lines, no score. So I came to the conclusion that if I loved my wife, I would rub her feet. Because for me, it was inconsistent to claim love for someone, but not demonstrate that love. How, how hypocritical of me to claim that I love her, but I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that, and no, I'm not going shopping with you because the game's on, and no, I'm not watching a chick flick because I'm too manly, and no, I cleaned out the garage, now leave me alone and let me do what I want to do because I balance the scales. Right? I made a deposit on my side. Now leave me alone and let me make this withdrawal. I don't care if you like it or not. You owe that to me because I've been keeping score and I'm winning. I just couldn't do that anymore. Love doesn't keep score. Love doesn't draw lines. And then here's the, the other takeaway for me. Love doesn't stay hidden. Love doesn't stay hidden. You can't really love somebody and hide it. You can't really love somebody and it not affect your behavior. Love has to be expressed, and it has to be expressed genuinely. If you're faking it, it's not love. If it's an act, it's not love. Listen, I don't just act like I'm married around my wife or around my married friends. I am married, period. And because of that, there are places that I don't go, even if she didn't know about it. And there are things that I don't do. There are thoughts that I don't entertain. There are activities that I don't engage in because I love my wife. I can't just switch my love for her off and on. I can't display it here and not display it there because real love doesn't stay hidden. I am a married man everywhere I go, no matter who's watching. But listen, I don't avoid those things, those thoughts, those activities, because I'm afraid that doing them will mean I'm no longer married. Motive matters. And my motivation is much deeper than that. Listen, imagine me asking her, how many times can I cheat on you before you divorce me? Right? How, how much can I do that hurts you before you give up on me? What's the minimum requirement of me to maintain our relationship status? How little can I think about you or communicate with you or consider your input before we're no longer in a relationship? How many times a week or a month must I talk to you? Right? And, and when I talk to you, is it okay if we just talk about the tasks that need to be accomplished, like a business transaction? Because I don't really want to get too personal. I don't really want to reveal too much of myself or give too much of my heart. Would that not be ridiculous? Would you not expect me to have two black eyes swollen shut if I said that? And would I not, would I not deserve it? 
But how many marriages function like that? Listen, the goal is not just to stay married. It's not just to say, I have a wife, or I have a husband, or I'm in this relationship. The goal is to love, honor, and cherish your wife or your husband until death do you part. If your only motivation is to just keep your wife or keep your husband, then your motivation might not be love. It might be convenience. It might be avoiding embarrassment. It might be comfort. It might be tradition or expectation. It might be a business transaction, but it's not love for your spouse. But remember, love doesn't stay hidden. Our love will get revealed, but it might be I love myself more than I love my spouse. That gets revealed too. I love my old life better than I love my spouse. I love my habit better than I love my family. Love doesn't stay hidden. What you truly love will be revealed. You say, John, man, this is kind of hardcore. I thought this was going to be a happy little Valentine's message. And, you know, where in the world does it say that God expects us to sacrifice all that? I mean, it shouldn't love be easy and fun and, you know, jumping through the tulips and stuff. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. And then we'll go to John chapter 15. Ephesians 5 and 21 says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You did notice that. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Look at verse 23. Yeah, 22. For wives, this means submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. That's not the end of the chapter. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Sounds kind of sacrifice doesn't it? John 15, verse 13. There's no greater love, Jesus said, than to lay down your life for your friends to lay down your life you wonder why so many marriages are failing you wonder why so many other relationships are falling apart so much bitterness so much hatred and animosity and division because we've tried to have love without submission and without sacrifice and it doesn't work you cannot have relationships you cannot have love without submitting to each other without sacrificing for each other now can can we pivot the conversation to our most important relationship how many times do we see something that needs to be done for the kingdom and we start drawing lines jesus i love you but i'm not doing that right that's too much that's too inconvenient. That's too uncomfortable. That, that's not my preference. That's not my style. That's not my job. That's not my, that's not my spiritual gift because I took the inventory. And there's a thousand excuses. But I wonder if what God hears is, I don't love you enough to do that for you. What, where is it that God goes too far in your life. 
Where's your I don't do feet line in your relationship with Jesus? Let me show you John chapter 13. This is the last night Jesus was alive on the face of the earth. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, listen, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than the master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Jesus said, if you love me, you do feet. Anybody's feet. In whatever context that is. Jesus Jesus said, there's no task that I can ask you to do for me that's beneath you. Jewish law said that not even a Jewish slave could be asked to wash feet like that. Jesus did what couldn't even have been asked of a slave. And because Jesus washed the disciples' feet, including Judas, who in just moments was going to go and betray him to the high priests, because he did that, there is nothing that he can ask us to do that's beneath us. There are no lines to draw because Jesus erased all the lines. He didn't just cross them. He erased them as he crossed them. And if you say you love Jesus, but you're drawing lines in your relationship with him, lines of preference, lines of convenience, lines of comfort, or anything else, then Jesus has to wonder, as he asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because true love doesn't draw lines. And we don't even want to talk about trying to keep score. See, we act like we, we, we work so hard for Jesus being good and going to church and not cussing people out. We, we act like we work so hard for him doing that that, we, that he owes us something. We don't want Jesus to show us the scoreboard. Philippians 2, look at this in, in verses 5 through 8. This is actually an, an, old, an old hymn of the church, uh, 2,000-year-old hymn. Paul said you have to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So what attitude is that? Though he was God, though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. He said, yeah, I'm God, but I'm going to let it go. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Listen, Jesus did pay it all. He laid down his life. He gave up everything. You understand? He was God. He had all the privileges that God should have. All the honor, all the glory and the majesty. And he laid all of that down to be born as a helpless baby 
in a, in a dirty feeding trough, in a cave that housed animals to save a world that he created from sin that he warned them about so that he could be mistreated and disrespected and then arrested and falsely convicted, beaten, spit on, ridiculed, humiliated, stripped, and crucified on a cross. So before we get too high and mighty about how we in the American church are being persecuted and how much we're suffering for Jesus, let's remember what he went through. Because true love, the kind of love that Jesus had for us, doesn't keep score. And it's a good thing because we could never do enough good things to pay him back for what he's already done for us. So when people in the American church ask questions about salvation, it has to be heartbreaking to God who loves us the way he does. Because people ask these kinds of questions. How much sin can I have in my life before I'm not a Christian anymore? How many times can I cheat on him with other gods and other priorities in my life? How long can I go without talking to him, without worshiping him, or reading his word? Is it okay if I just do the right things on the outside, but never really have a relationship with him? Like, how many times can I spend all week ignoring him, and disobeying him, and refusing him, and then come in on Sunday and expect him to take me in his arms and love me like everything's good? Is there a limit, or can I pretty much just say the magic prayer one time and then live however I want to? And we would never, we'd never say those things out loud, but every one of you know conversations that you've had with people that really get at the same thing. Listen, salvation is a covenant like a marriage. Jesus the night before, he, after he washed their feet, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Any man who constantly cheats on his wife, ignores her needs, disrespects her to her face, you would say pretty quickly, he doesn't love her. He's not a husband to her. Ephesians 5 says that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Did you really mean your vows to God when you got saved? We don't think about it that way, do we? We think we come and pray the magic prayer and everything's okay. These are vows that we take before God. Is there, is there really any love there for God, for Jesus? Is there any real commitment there? Because true love can't be hidden. If you love Him... You will live like you love him. Look at John 14, verses 23 and 24. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we'll come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me is not going to obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. Listen, do we make mistakes? Of course we do. Do we fail and fall Absolutely we do. 
just like, just like husbands and wives do every day. There's no perfect marriage because there's no perfect people. But there's no real version of Christianity in which we get to say we love a Jesus whom we consistently ignore and disobey. Are we really going to act like it's okay to say to Jesus, I surrender enough to you that I don't have to go to hell, but these parts of me, those are over the line. There's no crossing that, Jesus. You can't have those. It doesn't make any sense. That's not how covenant works. That's not how life, how love works. When you really love somebody, you change for them. That's the power of love. See, my fear is that we have too many people who are living with Jesus, but not married to him. They've been hanging around the church, hanging around his presence, hanging around his word and his people for so long that they sort of act like them. And they assume that they, people assume they have a covenant with him, but they don't. Listen, there's no common law covenant with Jesus. There's only true love and true surrender. No lines, no scores, nothing off limits. You only ask, does he need this? Will this benefit his kingdom? Will this bless him? And if the answer is yes, then... No matter what it is, that's just what you do. You say, John, are you, you preaching salvation by works today? Absolutely not. We are saved by grace, through faith, not of works, but by what Jesus already did for us on the cross. Period. But James said, if you really have faith, you'll demonstrate that faith by your works. In other words, what he said was, if nothing's changed in your life, your faith is dead. There's power in love. There's power in love. It's a difference in motive. It changes the why from the I have to to the I get to. Two totally different things. Will you stand with me this morning? We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.